a new year, so we start a new series of teaching subjects based in the Gospel according to John. Let's take a reading from the penultimate chapter, so chapter 20 of John. Two verses there that will give us a summary of John's reason and purpose for his compiling of the gospel account that we have in the scriptures. So John chapter 20 and verse 30. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So John gives us in these almost concluding statements the summary of the reason for the writing of his book. It is a book, it's referred to itself. <coughs> He's telling us why he took the time to pull together instances in the Lord's life and an understanding of his conversations in a particular way that we're just going to explore quickly as a, as a bit of background for our whole study as we go forward from here. Um, he's given us his purpose statement at the end and we're going to spend our time in it today. Most scholars consider that uh, John would have compiled his gospel, gospel being good news of course, his good news account of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the embodiment of God's good news. He compiled it around about AD 80 to 85. Now, if we consider that the Lord Jesus was crucified and died and then was buried and was raised again, um, somewhere between AD 30 and AD 33, there is debate over exactly when the Lord was crucified. Then we're looking at John having written his account about 50 years after uh, the experiences that he gives us. And there's a reason why he's writing late. He's writing later than the other uh, gospel accounts that we have in the scriptures, Matthew, Mark and Luke. They're known as synoptic gospels. And synoptic means it's, it's a synopsis, it's a summary that almost is chronological in the way it's laid out. And the purpose is to give a summary of the life and the ministry of the Lord Jesus. And that's what we have in Matthew, Mark and Luke. So that's, if you've ever heard the term synoptic gospel, that's what it refers to. And it refers to those three gospels. But John's not the same because John doesn't work through things necessarily chronologically, though there is chronology in it. But he's, he's drawing out particular instances and conversations that the Lord Jesus has with people for a particular purpose. In the Gospel according to John, we have unique material that is not there in the other three Gospel accounts. We have in-depth um, insight into conversations that were had in private settings. And quite often John was, was part of those and he, he's not named as the author, though 
he refers to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. And there is this assumption, and I think it's a strong one, it's the right one. That he's writing out of his experience of the love of God that he experienced in the person of Jesus Christ. So he shares with us intimate um, moments and conversations that give us additional information to the synopses that were given by Matthew and Mark and Luke. Interestingly as well, uh, Jesus's um, northern uh, Palestine ministry is mainly the focus of Matthew, Mark and Luke. John seems to have more of a focus in the south when Jesus was in and around Jerusalem. There are, of course, mentions of situations that were in the north or in the, in the northeast, but mainly it's to do with the centre of Judaism, Jerusalem itself. And there's a reason uh, for John doing that. So if we stick this all together, we're saying that John writes 50 to 55 years after the life of Jesus lived here uh, in Palestine in front of people and John being one of the witnesses. So he's probably writing to a gener second generation of Christians. And some have said that John's account is the gospel to the believer. Now I think that's one purpose of the gospel according to John. It was to reassure those who had put their faith in Jesus of the reality of their faith and who Jesus is. But also I do believe it was written for those who were not yet believers, who would read it and there is this evangelistic tone always throughout John's account where he's appealing for people to trust who Jesus is and what he has done and how he transforms life. So there's John writing later to bolster the faith of maybe believers who are getting to the end of their life and they're wondering is the Lord coming back because he said he would do. But also a second generation who have heard these things in a sense second hand. And John has written to bolster their faith too. But at the same time, it's something that he hopes will be shared with other people. So they will be persuaded too about who Jesus is. Look at verse 30. It says that Jesus performed many other signs not recorded in this book. We get from these two verses three major themes that we see all the way through. John's gospel account. The first of them is signs. Significant. Now, sign is there in the word significant. Signs are significant displays of power that point beyond themselves to deeper realities that are perceived by faith. That's one of the unique things about John's account of the instances that he chooses to share with us about the Lord Jesus Christ. He selects eight signs. The first of them was the miracle of turning water into wine at Cana. The last one could be the uh, miraculous catch of fish on the beach with uh, 
the few disciples that were there after his resurrection, or could be his resurrection himself, his, his own resurrection. So there is a question mark, is it eight or is it nine? But he selects these with a purpose. He wants to show that these significant displays of power are to show us the character of Jesus, the power of Jesus, and his constant willingness to intervene in human need because of his love. Let me list the, the eight signs for you, and uh, maybe if you have time to read through the Gospel according to John over the, the coming weeks in a couple of sittings or even in one sitting, then you can see these coming through. And John says, uh, there were many other signs, but I've selected these ones. Uh, turning the water into wine at the wedding feast in Cana. You've got the, what we might call the remote healing of the royal officials seriously sick son he's almost dying and the Lord just gives a command and they go back and they find that the son is healed the third is the healing of a lame man at the pool of Bethesda in Jerusalem you've got the feeding of the 5,000 plus crowd with five loaves and two fish you have him walking on the water of the Sea of Galilee in the middle of the night that's something that the disciples alone saw you have the healing of a man born blind. You have the raising of four-day dead Lazarus. And then you have his own resurrection and possibly a ninth. You have the miraculous catch of fish that the disciples pulled in when the Lord was on the beach after his resurrection. Now John has brought all those together for a purpose. Now notice that he says that uh, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples. There he's saying that the disciples who have been with Jesus were the key witnesses. Now we'll see as we work our way through uh, John's account that the disciples usually were not the only witnesses to this. So there were other people. There were other people who saw what the Lord did. But here John is is saying that, look, we were privileged. Twelve of us were privileged to see the power and the character and the intervention in human need of the Son of God. They were the prime witnesses. Now, I just want to say this very quickly and park it for now. There were twelve men who saw these signs that John has selected that would produce the assurance of faith in people who would believe. And one of those chose to reject the testimony of those signs, Judas. Eleven, they were convinced, but Judas was not. That takes us on to the next phrase in verse 31 it says but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah here's another major theme in the gospel according to John if not the major theme it's about true belief here was John saying look I've selected these and I've explained them and I've described them 
And I've shown you from a first-hand witness account the reactions of people when Jesus intervened in his power in people's predicaments. I've shared these with you so that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah. I'm going to stop there. Here's Jesus. And Jesus was a common name. Jesus was the name that means saviour. It was a name that the angel had said to, to Joseph. You're going to call the son that's going to be born to Mary, your betrothed. You're going to call him Jesus. Means saviour. He was saying that Jesus is the Messiah. So I've given you these eight signs that testify to his character and to his power and his constant willingness to intervene in human need. I've shared them with you that you might believe that this Jesus is the Messiah. Maybe your Bible version says the Christ. It's the same word. The, the Messiah is the anointed deliverer appointed by God that appears in the Old Testament, particularly through the writings of the prophets. The Messiah, as the Jews understood him, the one they were waiting for was going to be a great deliverer to bring freedom to national Israel and to restore the Davidic kingdom. Because God had made a promise to David and his descendants that there would be a great son who would sit on a throne and it would be an impregnable kingdom, unassailable, and they were waiting for such a man to come. So John says, I've given you these eight signs so that you might see that Jesus is this promised deliverer in all of his power. And yes, he is king, but not maybe in the way that you're originally thinking he would be. Which is why then he says that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. There he fronts us with it straight up. He takes it further than Jesus just being a great military leader. Actually, on the face of it, when you look at the gospel accounts, Jesus was not a great military leader. Here is John saying he is the Messiah. He is God's promised deliverer, the anointed one to bring about God's deliverance. But it's not in the way that you expected it to come. In fact, this is God the Son himself having taken on humanity that he might bring about a greater deliverer, deliverance. And that he would be a greater deliverer. He would actually bring about deliverance from sin. Now John is, is good in helping us to see this because he recounts three occasions when the Lord himself said that he was the Son of God. Now people often say, well, Jesus never said he was the son of God. He didn't outright come and say it, but the way he responded or made statements really implied that he was. I'll give you three references that you can look up in your own time for this. Look at John 5 verse 25. Look at John 10 verse 36. And also look at John 11 verse 4. Those verses are clearly Jesus saying that he is the son of God. Now, John is at pains throughout the gospel account to emphasize 
what true belief in Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, is all about. As I say, I think it's the major thing. Because he shows us people who said, are described as those who believed in him. John 8 is one example. Where partway through he begins to tell us of an exchange that he had with, Jesus had with the Jewish leaders. And it begins by saying that the people believed in him. Those people believed in him. At the end of the account, they were picking up stones to stone him. So in the course of an exchange of conversation, people seem to have gone from a form of belief that we would initially say, ah, these were people who trusted and believed in who Jesus was. By the end of it, they're picking up stones to stone him. They want nothing to do with him. In fact, they want him killed. Now that happens a number of times throughout John where he throws up this this idea that there is a form of belief that we might assume is genuine saving belief but it's not and that comes through repeatedly almost like a heartbeat through um, through the letter through not through the letter through the book maybe it's John saying this that some people were happy to believe in the things that Jesus was doing because his intervention in people's predicaments was of real benefit and it was astounding. Uh, but we've seen it, so it, it's happened. Maybe like many today, people heard his teachings and they thought, wow, that's, that's a really good way to shape your life. Belief really is, is what shapes everything about life, isn't it? What you believe is what you build your life on. John wants us to see that we need to believe and put our trust in that which is true and reliable, (coughs) not that which is unreal and false. And sadly, as sinners who live in a fallen world, we are constantly deceived by sin and by the work of Satan in the world and by the world's standards into thinking that a certain way of life is what life is really all about. But John is showing us that Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, has stepped in and he wants us to believe in him as the truth and as the one who is reliable. It's not just about hearing his teachings and thinkings, thinking, well, I'll take those and I'll, I'll do my best to live that way. We have loads of gurus in, in life these days, people who will put forward things that are actually very beneficial for life and we can learn from people who have experiences and have ways of approaching things at start of the new year resolutions and all that is maybe in the thinking forming habits that shape how we live there has to be a belief that this is going to make a change we, we have all that but John is shifting it from just hearing the things that Jesus says or seeing the things that Jesus has done and thinking, well, that was good and uh, yes, I'll, I'll live that way and saying, no, it's more than that. There were people in Jesus's time who heard and saw and they believed what they heard and they saw. But when Jesus turned the teaching back to being about him, they didn't want to have anything to do with it. Because then Jesus was saying, look, you're going to find Life only in me. 
John shows us that when Jesus gives his teaching or demonstrates his character and his power and his intervention uh, through one of these signs, he very quickly turns it for people to consider that it's in him alone that you're going to get life. Jesus turns it around to some examples. I am the bread of life. You won't find any satisfaction in anything or anyone other than me. And people walked away from Jesus. Jesus said to Nicodemus, he said, everyone who believes may have eternal life in me. He said to a woman at a well, he says, the water that I give will become a spring of water that results in eternal life. I'm the one who gives the life that you're looking for, Samaritan woman. Jesus himself said this, he said, the son, and he was referring to himself, gives life to whom he is pleased to give it, which implies that we don't have life. So Jesus is turning the teaching back on himself. And then as he stands near to Lazarus's tomb, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. What a thing for someone to say in the face of mourners. You can see that John selects these because they are shocking statements that show us that the teachings of Jesus and the things that he has done, yes, we can have a head knowledge of them and think that they're good and believe them. But belief that saves is more than that. It's belief in him, Jesus the Deliverer, the Son of God. That's why he goes on to say, and that by believing you may have life in his name. We don't have life automatically. We, we live a life, but through what we're told in the scriptures and through the teaching of Jesus that is given to us in the gospel account given by John, is that we're dead because we're sinners. We're under the judgment of a holy and a righteous God because of our rebellion. John chapter 3 finishes with John saying that those who believe have life, but those who refuse to obey the Son, the wrath of God remains on them. That wrath is the sentence of death. It's there. But John has selected these eight testifying signs that show us the character and the power and the willing intervention of the deliverer in Jesus so that we may have life in his name. It's not a life that we generate for ourselves, within ourselves. It's life that is in his name. The tense of that, by believing, is, is a present active verb, which means it's something that has started and continues on. Now, for those of us who are those who say that we are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to say this, that the scriptures I believe are clear in saying that a statement of faith once made, I believe, is not sufficient for salvation. The scriptures and this statement here, by believing an ongoing commitment of trust and faith, 
in who Jesus is, something that is currently taking place and will continue to take place, is the true demonstration of someone who is born again. I believe John has pulled together his gospel account to show us that. That it is possible for people to say one thing, but as we'll see, Jesus knew their hearts. And he could see that in their hearts, their faith was not genuine. I'll leave that one there because uh, as we go through uh, the gospel together, we're going to have to explore that one in more detail. But notice that it's we may have life in his name. Salvation is not guaranteed to everyone. Salvation is guaranteed to all those that God has set his love on from all of eternity. But John has has pulled together these accounts because he's longing that people will see the reality of who Jesus is, that he is the Messiah, the Son of God. And just like in the examples that he gives, that he hopes that people will see it and they will receive the truth of who Jesus is. Active receiving and believing. To those who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. In John chapter 1. Receiving it, believing it, and living. Why is it important that John says may have life in his name? It's because our names really stand for nothing before a holy God. But there is one name that stands forever on behalf of others. The representative deliverer that is Jesus Christ, the Messiah. He has come to step into humanity, God the Son. I'm going to deal with that next week. Lord's will. He has stepped into humanity, God Himself, revealing Himself in humanity, so that He, the Divine One, who is perfect man, might be the one who would go and deal with the problem of sin through the death of the cross and through resurrection. That He would be the one then, having been raised, would stand on behalf of all those that Paul uses this language are in Christ. Who have received him and said, I'm standing with him. I believe that he is the righteous one. I have no righteousness of my own. There's nothing I could do to repay God for my sin. But God in his mercy has come. And he has provided the saviour. And the saviour has given himself to me. And in all of his righteousness, his life stands for me. And his death secures forgiveness for my sins. I'm standing with him. That's why... John says we may have life in his name. When God looks at his son, who is a man in glory, who is described as our intercessor, who stands there on behalf of his people, then he sees those that are standing with him. And they are counted as being with Christ. So life is in his name. So John is saying it's not just about taking his teachings, it's not just about seeing the things that he's done and believing, yes, he did that. It's more than that. It's seeing that those things testify to the reality that here is God who has come to be a deliverer from sin and to bring forgiveness to guilty sinners. That's what John is getting at. He's looking for the response of the 11 out of the 12 disciples. Jesus said a hard thing to the Jewish leaders in John chapter 5. He says, you refuse to come to me to have life. 
Jesus, as John records it for us, is in people's faces, and I say that respectfully, saying, you have no life without me, outside of me. Live your life in me and out of me. So John says Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing, trusting it for the rest of our life, you may have life in his name. Forgot to mention that this concept of life is the other major theme in John's writing. It's salvation brings us into eternal life, which is a, an ever-deepening experience of God that comes about through relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So, to conclude then, we see that John's summary of his purpose statement is that the signs would help us to truly believe and receive eternal life. Through Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, the great deliverer who brings the gift of salvation and eternal life to humanity. And then it's up to us to either accept or reject what John says about him. It's a matter of life and death. Let's pray.